Hello, and welcome to the third episode of HODLPAC's interview series with candidates for and members of the United States Congress. HODLPAC is a community-governed political action committee with the mission of supporting current and future members of Congress whose policies would promote the development of cryptocurrencies in the decentralized economy in the United States. Much like the crypto networks we want to see thrive, HODLPAC relies on the participation of our community. Those who donate decide which politicians we support. If you'd like to learn more and get involved, feel free to visit us at hodlpack.org. I am your host, Tyler Wordy. Our guest today is Representative Ted Budd from North Carolina's 13th District. He's a member of the House Financial Services Committee, as well as the Task Force on Artificial Intelligence. Representative Budd has introduced or co-sponsored several pieces of legislation relevant to crypto, including the Virtual Value Tax Fix Act, the Financial Technology Protection Act, and the Token Taxonomy Act. Representative Budd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tyler, for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. So to start off our conversation, I think it'd be great if you could tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. How did you decide to get involved in politics and how did you end up as the representative for North Carolina's 13th district? Yeah. And, and again, thanks for having me. I appreciate all your guests and what all you do. Um, this really goes back to North Carolina having a real history in the courts of redrawing its districts. Um, you can go back and Wikipedia and look that up if you want. But they redrew in 2016. And normally they have a census every 10 years and they redraw the following uh, two years after the census. So like we'll have a 2020 census, 2022 we'll have new districts and they'll reset the 435 districts because of the courts. They redrew in 2016 and they drew a brand new district right on top of where I lived with nobody that was in office. And so 17 of us signed up to run. Uh, that were Republicans and five Democrats, so 22 total. But I, I signed up to run, but be- around that time, I was asking my family, I said, look, uh, this is what it looks like to run, and this is what it would look like if I won. I said, and my kids were, you know, four or five years younger at the time. And I said, are you, uh, are you guys okay with this? And my then 16-year-old, now 21-year-old said, uh, look, Dad, I think this would be cool. You should do it. So, and everybody was in agreement because, you know, you got to have your family behind you and your friends behind you, and you don't want to create resentment at home. And so that's really, you know, it stems from the redraw, but I had my, my family's support, and that's really motivating. Um, you know, I think I can make a difference, kind of the, the farm background combination with business and being entrepreneurially minded. I think that was a great combination. And, uh, it ended up working, you know, kind of navigating through the 22 opponents. And it seemed to be what the, the country was looking for and my district was looking for at the time. That's awesome. You got the uh, permission from your most important constituents first, I guess. Absolutely. You don't want to run without them. Yeah. So to kick things off, I wanted to kind of ask a general question. I know that promoting innovation in the U.S. is very important to you. So as a, as a member of Congress, you know, what's your view on the role that Congress plays in promoting innovation, as well as the role agencies play in promoting innovation, especially as it relates, all that relates to cryptocurrency? Yeah. So one of the things we do in Congress is actually a role about pushing back. I, I want to make sure that people understand law in general. Law is negative. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have a positive personality and uh, the way I approach life. But law is about saying, all right, this as a society are the things we've together agreed that you can't do. Um, you, we don't want to be in the business of permitting people to do certain things. Um, so I want to say that, look, we are, aren't out there saying, all right, you guys can create, create blockchain or bit current, you know, uh, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies. 
uh, we want you guys invent things and we want to like be able to understand it so that we can have smart policies around that. And that's really what we do. So all law in, in essence, if it's proper law is negative. Um, but with the agencies, they're essentially the enforcement mechanisms. We're not enforcement. We don't carry badges. We don't want to do that. Uh, but we want to be representatives uh, because we are a republic or a representative democracy. And so from the 435 congressional districts uh, around the country and over on the Senate side, you know, two from each state, regardless of population, uh, if it navigates through us and navigates through them and gets on the president's desk and gets signed, well, that's law. So it's a slow process by design. It was meant to be inefficient. But once that law becomes, in effect, law, now you have to apply it. And that's where the regulatory bodies come into place or the agencies. And so, uh, you know, the SEC and other agencies, uh, whatever would be you know, relevant to this call, those are the ones that apply what we decide in Congress um, into, you know, the life as we know it. I know one of the things that you've been very active in is attempting to clarify our country's tax regime when it comes to the use of cryptocurrencies. A couple of bills that I mentioned in the intro, including the Cryptocurrency Tax Fairness Act and the Virtual Value Tax Fix Act, both have to do, as one can tell from the names, with taxes. So if you could tell us a little bit about those bills and their current statuses, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. One of the things I'm really looking for, and this is regarding cryptocurrencies and even beyond, is, and I've never understood stood this more than having been in Congress. And it really made a lot of things click coming from a business background is how important clarity is for those that are making decisions. So um, these two bills, when the Cryptocurrency Tax Fairness Act was introduced last Congress, unfortunately, you know, a lot of these things, they get assigned out to different committees. There's about 18 different committees. I'm on the Financial Services Committee, uh, mostly banking and insurance and fintech and regtech. But it also got assigned out to the Ways and Means Committee, which is an old term for taxation. So um, it didn't move past Ways and Means. So it kind of got stuck there. But what it would have done is exempted cryptocurrency transactions from the IRS's reporting requirements if those transactions were below $600. And then that number would then be pegged to inflation every year. We just want to treat them like regular transactions. And then the Virtual Value Tax Fix Act uh, that I introduced in, in Congress um, earlier, that's been re also referred to Ways and Means Committee. And this bill allows for an exclusion of gain or loss for income tax purposes. It's like a like-kind exchange um, of virtual currencies, you know, that are, com are completed prior, prior to uh, 2025. So we think those are two good bills. And, uh, uh, you know, if you want to look those up on congress.gov, again, I'll go over them. It's the Cryptocurrency Tax Fairness Act, and then the Virtual Value Tax Fix Act. Um, just two smart, smart things that um, I think all of us could probably agree on. Step back for a second. You know, you were part of the famous 2018 Crypto Roundtable at the Library of Congress. We previously had Congressman Davidson on the show, and he shared his perspective on how that came together. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is what your perspective on that was. What was your involvement? What were your biggest takeaways? And how has that informed your policymaking since then? Yeah, that was a great panel. Uh, it's hard to believe that was back in 2018. But a big shout out goes to a, a real friend and a real expert uh, on this is Warren Davidson. Uh, you know, he hosted the event. He put it together. It was bipartisan. And this is one of the great things in a partisan world that we all see, whether we're, you know, in the crypto space or not. Uh, 
we care about our country. And this is one of the things that we can come together on. Um, but, you know, he hosted this and it was the, the people in the room that were um, either traditional banks or newer or fintech or crypto related. It was uh, you know, or uh, from the investment field. It was just fantastic to see the it was really informative. I mean, not we were on the panel, but I felt like I should be in the audience at part, you know, part of the time, just uh, gathering more information and, and getting a better understanding of this. But um, it allowed a really open discussion. It allowed for greater understanding and appreciation of the subject of crypto. And it, it really increased my understanding and appreciation for something that I think is, is vital now, but even more so in the future um, when it comes to crypto and blockchain. It's not a hidden secret that a lot of us in Congress, we aren't fully aware of the capabilities of these technologies. And some of that's not about, you know, if you're pro-tech or not, it's about generational. And if you're, if you're older, you may not be familiar with this. And if you're younger, it may be more, more natural. Um, you might have Coinbase on your phone. Uh, yeah. But hearing the concerns of industry leaders about the lack of clarity, um, that made a lot of sense to us. Um, you know, and I think the U.S. government's priority in this space must it has to really be about bringing clarity while also creating a real framework that allows for more significant American innovation. We can't let what you guys are bringing to the table move offshore. I think we need the United States to lead in this and at least have the framework uh, where you guys can do the, the heavy lifting without being impeded. Absolutely. And as a follow-up to that, what are some of the ways that you, as a member of Congress, stay informed about the crypto industry? And I guess more broadly, as you're trying to learn about how to update laws and other areas, you know, how do you stay up to date on innovative industries in general? So a, a lot of this revolves around staff. So on Congress, it's, it might look like it's just us, but we have about 15 to 18 of us on staff. That's in the district back home, and that's up here in D.C. Uh, we have one or two that focus on these issues of tech, um, and for me, financial services. So I ask them, that make sure that you're keeping me informed, one, by uh, making sure the right people uh, are, you know, we say yes to these meetings, and we make sure that you're, you're in our offices telling us what is important to you. So hearing that and you start picking up themes about what's really important, you start um, understanding the vocabulary better and understanding the underlying concepts to it. Um, I do a lot of reading. Um, you know, you guys might be dropping off books. I try to read what I can, uh, I read articles, Google alerts, um, and, then just, uh, and, and then just being generally interested. It's kind of like having your antennas up and you receive the signals of what's going on uh, related to blockchain and cryptocurrency. So I'm, I would say as a personal goal, I'm very pro-tech even before I came to Congress. So it's a fascination of mine. So I'm going to be able to, whether I'm in Congress or out, I'm going to be able to pick up concepts pretty easily, um, even though I might have to stop and research a little thing before I grab it. But you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's been, you know, it's been very eye-opening being here for the last three or four years. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I commend you because, you know, even as somebody in the industry, it's definitely hard to keep up with everything that's going on. One of the hopes that I have for Hodelpack actually is to kind of help facilitate that information flow. So one of the biggest stories of last year as it relates to innovation and financial services, two areas that you've focused on, one of the biggest stories there was Libra. Can you Can you walk us through kind of how your office first heard about Libra and how were initial reactions to Libra? I knew it made a big splash in DC. 
Yeah, it really did. And uh, I'm trying to think, it's like when you started asking the Libra question just now, about eight different angles of how to approach this question came to mind. Because if you walk back to when it surfaced, we're dealing with so many issues uh, regarding Facebook, uh, regarding privacy, election security. You know, are they are they biased? Are they not? I think they are. But and then there's so there's this kind of like, all right, we're all in the tech, all in the tech space here. But these guys own may, maybe too much and it's not egalitarian. So how do we how do we think about Facebook? Like, you know, Zuckerberg, when you think about 2004, like he's an entrepreneur like like all of us have been, at least probably on this call at some point in our lives. So kudos to what he's accomplished. Um, but then when it comes to Libra, is it really a cryptocurrency or is it a representational basket of other uh, currencies? And that's really what it is. And so everybody thought, oh, it's just um, it's just like Bitcoin, except it's now uh, Facebook's version of it. I'm like, no, nah, let's break this down. And so I'm able to go across party lines and just say, look, let's look at this a little bit differently than you would Bitcoin because it's it's not. Um, and though it uses technology, it's it really just represents other currencies. And those currencies can be switched in and out over time. We're not really sure of the method. But I think Facebook was absolutely brilliant when it came to Libra because essentially they published a white paper they dropped it on the on the market and in the press, and everybody went nuts over it. Either some people, I'm sure, supported it, um, Libra as the currency and Calibra, which is the wallet um, around that. And then they got to hear all these objections. Um, Mark Zuckerberg got to come in and have a hearing where people uh, asked him questions whether they knew anything about it or not. And then they got to beat up on it for, I think, a day or two days. And um, which is brilliant because, you, you know, it's like we're back when we were in college and we drop off a professor, one of those professors that lets you, you know, turn it in early and it'll mark it up for you. That's essentially what Facebook did. And now we've essentially marked up his paper for him, his white paper. Now they get to know where all the hotspots are uh, politically so that they can advance on it if they wish to. Now we think some of the uh, I think there were 28 um, co-investing companies along with them at the time. And a lot of those have pulled out. Um, and then I think because of COVID and other things, it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster, but it's still on the shelf. It's still there. And they're a lot smarter now, thanks to Congress and a lot of other people um, because of kind of, they, they dipped their toes in the water back then. But um, look, you can't conflate Libra as a cryptocurrency. It's very different. And I just think there's a lot of lack of understanding I think it elevated the understanding, but I think it really showed how far a lot of Congress has to go before they get a grip on um, things like Libra uh, and then the wallets like Calibra and then uh, other cryptocurrencies. I will say, though, I think a lot of people were impressed by members of Congress who were able to make the same distinction that you just outlined there. Uh, so that I think that was a positive, but it definitely does show that you know there's a lot of financial innovation happening these days in a lot of different areas from traditional fintech to, to things like Libra and to things like Bitcoin. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. You just said traditional oh, fintech, which is awesome because that shows you how fast things are moving. Fintech is new in most spaces. But, you know, when you look at it as traditional, uh, that just shows you how fast things are in your world.
That's very true. There's there's so many different things going on in financial innovation generally. And one of the tasks that you have in Congress is to make sure that, you know, regulation applied to any one thing within that spectrum of financial innovation doesn't necessarily get in the way of of others. I think some members on the other side of the aisle reacted to Facebook's Libra announcement or the Libra announcement generally by floating the idea of you know restricting companies of certain sizes from getting into financial services. I, I forget the name of the bill, but that was a, an effort that sprung up around the time of, of Libra. And I think you spoke out against those efforts. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what was your reasoning there? How do you think about the changing landscape of financial services generally? And you know, as somebody on the financial services committee, how do you make sure that policy directed at one thing doesn't leak into another area? Yeah, so a lot of our role here uh, is just to push back against bad ideas. And there's a lot of things which folks may want to do, you know, with good intentions, and it could be on either side of the aisle, uh, but they really end up with bad consequences. If you lock down and you're anti-technology, you know, eventually you're going to force a a technology like this, you're going to force it overseas. It's going to end up in Estonia. It's going to end up, well, probably not Hong Kong. You know, maybe last year we were talking about Hong Kong, but not now. Um, or, well, you know, if you think about China as a whole, it could end up there. But we don't want this to be in Singapore or China or Estonia or somewhere in, uh, in, in Europe. We want this to be right here in the U.S. So I got to make sure that we are have a light touch regulation that makes sense, That's uh, that wants people to want to come to the U.S. We don't want to make this a hard place to do business. So uh, that's really what's what's behind it. Yeah, my personal bent is pro-technology, but at the same time, let's not make the U.S. a hard place to do business. I think those work very nicely together. And that's the framework out of which uh, much of my approach is. So uh, one of our final questions is, I think, related to that previous question. You're on the task force for artificial intelligence, and that doesn't maybe directly applied to cryptocurrency, but I definitely think it fits into some of the themes that you've been talking about. So I guess, can you explain what the task force does? And then, you know, second, talk about how you may may or may not overlap with some of the other areas that you've been spending time on. So originally when, because every time, you know, the house flipped from uh, Republican control to Democrat control. So my understanding a little inside baseball is that there were a lot of promises made to who was going to be the chair of this uh, one uh, subcommittee underneath financial services. However, uh, because it was overpromised, there wasn't enough to pass around. So they actually split it from just technology into uh, fintech and artificial intelligence. Uh, so now you've kind of, I think it's been somewhat overparsed uh, because of our jurisdiction, but I love AI. I think it has so many applications when it comes to reg tech and fintech. Um, but, you know, I, I just think uh, you shouldn't necessarily separate those two. Um, look, I want to make sure that we're, we're having we're not making this a bad place to do business, kind of like I said before. Um, but I want to look out. You know, we're, we're having very early conversations about what's going on in quantum. How can we make sure this is U.S. centric? Um, and not China centric. We now know that China is not our friend. Uh, we've seen that when it comes to um, uh, when, when it comes to COVID and uh, open sharing of information. 
and perhaps restricting uh, critical medications to the U.S. Um, you know, this is that's, that's there's a it's a hostile place to do, to do business. So you got to look at more than just the price. Um, and basically, Tyler, everything is about making U.S. strong. I would love to be um, the smartest one in the room when it comes to this, but I'm not. But I want to make sure that those who are um, have an easier pathway ahead and that we're not in the way when it comes to the U.S. government. So for our last question, I like to end with this, and we've talked about it a little bit already. Members of Congress are very busy and they have a million things on their plate besides crypto-related issues. What are some of your other legislative priorities for you know the rest of 2020 and in your next term? Great question, because again, we, we love to be able to focus, and the focus tends to be in financial services where my committee is. But right now we're looking at uh, liquidity issues related to COVID-19 pandemic and making sure that we're positioned to come out of this as quickly and as safely as possible uh, and with the least amount of economic damage. So kind of the everyone is in their specialties related to committee, but it's all through the lenses now, not of uh, how do we have, you know, now it's all about COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so I've really worked on supporting measures to you know, increase access to liquidity in the economy and make sure that all Americans have access to cash during these slow economic times and to make sure not that we remain there uh, and we don't want to over incentivize people to stay put, but we want to make sure that those who can have an economy to go back to. I mean, this was amazing what we had three months ago, and I think we can rebound quickly. We want to do it safely. We now are a little smarter three months into this about who needs the most protection. Um, look, I'm one of those who leans towards more rapid reopening, but also want to do it um, intelligently. So those are the things we're focusing on now. Great. Representative Bud, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Tyler, this is fascinating. There'll always be something new to talk about. I appreciate what you do. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Crypto in Congress with Hodelpack. If you'd like to learn more about Hodelpack and our mission, please check us out at hodelpack.org or follow us on Twitter at Hodelpack. And also be sure to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the bio to get exclusive updates and access to transcripts from each episode. I'm Tyler Wordy, and I'll see you next week as we speak to Representative Stacey Plaskett from the U.S. Virgin Islands.